Awesome, awesome. Hey, uh, again, those of you who are guests here, thank you so much for making us a part of your Sunday today. We really are glad that you're with us. I hope that this will be a meaningful time for you. Uh, my favorite announcement is always that, would you like a fresh breeze for your marriage? <laughs> Let me tell you who has a fresh breeze. Can you stand up? My man's, can you come here quickly? I want people to see your outfit with the white top. Yeah, yeah, come, come around. And then Stuart, I also want you to This guy, he has a fresh breeze. <laughs> I want you to come show them your quilt. <laughs> I just want everybody to see he's having a fresh breeze in his life, all right? It's the first thing that's happening right now. And you know, it is, it is, what is it, what's today, what is it, Heritage Day. Now, I didn't, I just saw Stuart, so I asked Stuart, what are you celebrating? Stuart, obviously, well, what's your, what's your heritage? Just answer first. Uh, <laughs> The best outfit of the day are these teeth. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate you. <laughs> I didn't make him do it. Don't send me emails. Don't post on Facebook. He did it. Go find him, Stuart Fisher. Awesome. All is fun to be back together again every single Sunday. Uh, and what a privilege it is for me to introduce the speakers coming to preach tonight. Uh, there are a few people who inspire you beyond what you think is possible. This individual is coming to preach here is an inspiration to me, to my wife, so many of the leaders in this house. There's something we talk about regularly here and that is to make disciples. I know few people who exemplify and demonstrate this passion and this lifestyle of making disciples like Pastor Philip Pretorius. Today, as you hear the word, you're not just hearing it from a man skilled, from a man experienced, but you're hearing this word from a father who loves this nation. Uh, he had the privilege of planting a church all the way out in Tswane. That church has impacted so many other nations, Botswana, Namibia. I mean, so many international nations across our, our uh, continent, but also uh, planted new churches around Pretoria as well, and Tswane as well. And we are so privileged today to have Pastor Philip Pretorius with us. He is married to Renee for uh, 17 years and has two, 17, right? 19. This paper is behind. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this, is, this is not a prophetic paper. <laughs> Throw this thing. He's married to Renee for 19 years. And um, he has... Uh, <laughs> Married to Renee for 19 years. You have two boys. His youngest is Luca, right over there. Him and my son get along like crazy. They, they are crazy people. Uh, but really, it's such a privilege to have him in the house. And, and you know, in the nation we live in, we are privileged to have the kind of church we have. Not many people get to experience the kind of worship we had and then have an Africana amongst Africanas come up and preach the word. And we are all so happy for it. Beautiful, beautiful church, beautiful people called by the gospel to do things differently. Every nation, could you give me the privilege of welcoming with warm hearts and warm hands, Pastor Philip Pretorius. Love you, my buddy. Tulela moya wahao jesu, tulela moya wahao jesu. The people. 
saruna Jesu, tulela moya wahau Jesu. Can you minister galabitso la morena Jesu? I'm going to keep on going and some people won't understand. <laughs> I grew up in a family that my parents speak better Sutu than uh, English. And uh, my uncle actually, you know, we only spoke English when our lives were in danger. Um, and so, <laughs> and I had the privilege of really growing in, a, in an environment, in a family. My grandfather way back, way back when they called, I don't know what they call it, the part or something. But they, I grew up in a different type of family. And I saw my grandfather as a farmer, you know, calling people and actually build a church on, far, on a farm and started to preach people. And we had the privilege of learning Sutu from a young age. And um, some of my best friends I played soccer with <laughs> on the farm all the time. And it's amazing when God, what God can do in our hearts as we come together from different nations. And uh, you said 30 nations. I counted it was 25 nations. Yeah, that's what they, what they read here. That's amazing. And that's the tapestry of what God is doing in our lives. And, you know, in the midst of us being from different nations, never ever does God call us to lose our identity. Some of you got friends who don't have identity. A little bit irritating after a while. It's like, okay, okay, don't you know who you are? It's like the guy comes to the airport, and he gets to the, to the info desk, and he kind of, he's this important guy, and he kind of tries to get this lady's attention, and he's demanding attention, and he says, Lady, do you know who I am? And she says, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir. And she goes to the mic and she says, attention, attention, there's a guy here who does not know who he is. <laughs> it's important that you know who you are. It's important that you, that you not just lose your identity, that you really build your identity and know who you are in Christ. Because God wants to be worshipped through the tapestry of diversity. And he wants us to love him the way that you are and the way he's made you. And it's such a privilege. I honor my friends that we were, Marsha, thank you for keeping on the road. I mean, Greg, and there's so many leaders here. I mean, you guys are just, it's amazing. It's always for me a privilege to come here. Love Pastor Simon and Roger. We get to work together a lot and hang out. And there's even American here. Come on. <laughs> Was that on the screen? Oh, you did. Okay. Just want to check. So... You know, friends, um, it's also awesome, brothers. You have my brother-in-law and Carly. Come on, stand up. This is uh, that's my my wife's only brother, and uh, Carly was actually my PA years back, and uh, so some awesome privilege. And when I met my wife, and she got baptized, got saved, had the privilege of leading my own wife to Christ, and also I hand raised her. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and uh, within six months, he's not here, I can say this. <laughs> within six months, my whole in-law, my brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law got saved. My wife actually baptized her own father in the bath tap. Um, and that's the awesome privilege we have. And we're asking tonight, why reach? Well, that's why reach. It's simple. If you're really, really tonight, enjoy this moment. Do you know how many nations don't have this. And I pray tonight as we share with you the word of God that tonight something in your heart will ignite. I mean, when I hear 25 nations, praise God to you, I hear 25 church plants. I hear nations opening up. 
We have a purpose on earth and God has called us to live out this purpose. And this purpose is way beyond. Never to lose your identity. But your identity in Christ makes you not irresponsible. It makes you responsible. For every irresponsible act, somebody responsible always needs to pick up the tab. When we do irresponsible actions, when my kids are irresponsible, I need to pay for their irresponsibility. And God is calling up His church to become responsible, that we start to see things change in our nation. I even saw that photo is really pretty outdated. Jesse is now 12, and Luca is 5. I mean, I don't think, I mean, so Luca is 5, exactly the same age, and they, they are the same. Very much, they are busy. But it's such a privilege to be married, and being in a family, and, a, and my wife and my kids, and our hearts is to see Jesus' kingdom come all over the world. I bring you greetings from the city of Twani. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Twani is the second biggest city, the city with the second most embassies in the world. Only Washington, D.C. has got more um, embassies. Why? That's why I reach. That's why we're here tonight. See, friends, when we talk about reach and we've spoken about it, it's a practical way. It is our regional mandate that we put the Word of God into action and we want to break it down that you can participate in it to pray, to give, and to go. Every first Thursday, we pray for the nations. We go on missions. But this next three weeks, you're going to get the incredible opportunity that you can participate financially also to make this happen and to see nations reach for Jesus. If you look at what's happening, you're following what's happening in our nation and all the xenophobia. I mean, when we had our reach week, it was like two weeks, three weeks ago. It was right in the middle of what was happening. I was standing on the stage and said, what's happening in our nation as we literally doing reach this week, it's not just a prophetic moment for us doing this, but it's actually a wake-up call. So how do we respond to what's happening in our nation? And let me tell you what's the best way to respond. Let's go and take the gospel to every nation. That's the best way we can respond is to say, Lord, we're going to take responsibility for the nations of the world. I want to lay a foundation. I'm going to take a simple scripture, but I believe a profound impact on our lives. Would you open up your heart tonight to hear God's voice speak to you? Psalm 115 verse 1 and 2 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should nations say, where is their God? The scripture is emphasizing two main themes. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be glory. If you look at the world, you can go, and, and it's amazing how many professionals flee our nation. And many times it's good because, you know, sometimes people need to find another place and they need to look after their family and there's a responsibility that makes them also move. But it's something about, you know, when, when we look at the world and you almost go to another nation and you arrive in another nation, you find, oh, there's problems here. And then you arrive in, in France and you realize, oh, there's problems here. And you arrive in Ghana and you think, oh, there's problems here. And you arrive in America and you say, oh, there's problems here. I mean, everywhere you go in the world, there's problems. Why? There's people there. <laughs> it's really, that's only why. And there are people there that's hearts are not yet saved. There are people there that are not yet about to place. You see, you take the whole world. I'm going to simplify what's wrong in the whole world. I'm going to give you the greatest, simplest 
theological reason what's wrong in the whole world. We've taken the knot to us and just taken out the knot to us, to me, to myself, to my family, to my culture, not to you, to me. In the center of all problems, if you spell sin, S-I-N, I am in the middle of all sin. All sin is premeditated. All sin is well planned and executed with the live me inside of it. If you look at the whole thing of, you know, corruption and you look at all kinds of things we face in our nation, you see, you know, <clears throat> rape and violence and, you know, you know, corruption and all kinds of things happening. It's about me. It's about uplifting and, and want to have a better me for myself. You look at religion. Don't care attitude. It's not my problem. Let's give a blind eye to that. That's protecting me. It's the comfortable me. The preference is just me, myself and I. What's the difference between the drug me and the don't care me? It's still me. We can almost justify, I don't do that, but I do nothing. It's the same me. What is the me? The me is at the core of it. You see, because we, we don't, we, we move to a place where we get beyond me. It's not about me. Deny me, deny self. We will never understand it. See, the gospel, when it, Pastor Kevin spoke this morning, was so profound. He says, the greatest profound statement, confession, in the history of Christianity, and it's still today the greatest, greatest, profound confession. It is the essence of Christianity. For the first 1,700 years, there was no Bible, but there was one confession, which is the declaration of the gospel, which was from the beginning, and that statement was, He is Lord. You know, today we can say he's Lord and you have a bumper sticker. But back in the days, it was not about a bumper sticker. It was about a confession. Because the moment you confess he is Lord, you are declaring that Caesar is not. And that confession immediately puts you in a legal contradiction. Where your life is in danger. And the moment you say he is Lord, you are confessing that your life is less worth than Jesus. That you're subjecting your life to say, Lord, you are above me. It is about you. And I'm even willing to lose my life to proclaim you. See, friends, true confession is not just what we speak with our mouth. But it's the deep conviction that my life finds its value in putting Christ first. Put Christ on the throne. You see, when we look at Jesus is Lord... You see, we don't just do missions because you want to get to a nation and it's kind of a good excuse to get, you know, to get to nations and go on holiday. And it's great, friends. Do go on mission and do expose and experience the nations. It's great. But let me tell you, the only reason why we do missions is because He is not Lord. Worship does not exist. The only reason, biblical reason for mission is the worship of God. And so when we look at the scripture, it says, not unto us, Lord. It says, it's coming to, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, glory. Me must be replaced by him. Me must be replaced by Lord. 
The difference between Lord Jesus Christ and me is He is Lord and I'm not. And the greatest satisfaction, the greatest place where you come imagine a nation that bows down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Imagine a nation that is not about me anymore, my preference and my protection and myself or my advantage, taking advantage of other people. Imagine a place where I die, sin dies, and we come to a place where we bow before the Lordship of Christ. Friends, we're not trying to redeem and bring justice in a kingdom that is on the earth. We are not of this kingdom. We're not trying to save a nation. We're bringing a kingdom that is different from the kingdom we live in. So many times we approach from a wrong biblical view. We want to see that existing kingdoms change. We are not of this kingdom. We're bringing in a different kingdom. And that's a kingdom where He is Lord. And we submit to Him. And we live in this kingdom. And we establish that kingdom. His kingdom come. His will be done. See, the only way we get to this place where we find this deeper satisfaction in a place of peace It's when I'm no longer in charge, so I don't have to worry. I worship. I don't have to worry. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me in the life that I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's amazing. The scripture says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live now He's not speaking to pastors. He's not just speaking to worship leaders. He's speaking to every businessman and every businesswoman, every mom, every dad, every student. He's speaking to every professional. He says, I no longer live. There is no separation. When it comes to the Lordship of Christ, there is no separation. Philippians 1 verse 22 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, he talks about, you know, if we have to understand this, if we're going to see the world saved and changed, we need to understand and come to the essence of what God meant when he said apostle and apostolic. Well, if you've heard the word apostle and apostolic, now I want to def- try to clarify those words because many people think they belong on some kind of poster or card, but they're not. It's not a title, it's a function. When we live for self, no matter in what justifiable form, then we say it's not to you, it's to us. It's to us. You could even use Jesus. You think about Job. Go and read in Job 1. The whole people, I mean, they gathered around God and Satan come and says, God, God, we, I know Job is only serving you because of his blessing. What is he saying? He's accusing God for bribery. You take all that you've blessed Job with. Oh, Lord, bless us, bless us. You take all his blessings away, he's going to stop serving you. He's not a true confessor. He's actually someone who serves you because you bless him. And God says, really, let's see. Will he still confess, I am Lord? And after everything happened, at the end, Job turns and says, although I've lost everything, he's still my Lord. See, many people serve Jesus with what they get from Him, but end up losing their confession. True confession is not what we get, it's what we got. 
It's understanding a place from a position that the greatest satisfaction is when the glory of God starts to penetrate our lives. It brings in us a shining light that needs to shine out to a dark world that reflects the glory of God. We are reflectors of the glory of God. See, the single focus passion solution to the whole world is not to us, Lord, but to you, all the glory. It's not to my business. It's not to my culture. It's not to my, you know, I'm a woman, I'm a man. It's not to me, God. It's to you. It's not to every nation. It is God alone. See, the question nations asking to every believer, if you're a believer today, here's the question nations are asking us. Somalia is asking this. Egypt is asking this. There are 38 nations where we not yet have a disciple-making church in Africa. There are 34 in Europe. They're asking the following question. Why should nations say, where is their God? Maybe your colleague is asking this. Maybe some of your family is asking, where is your God? It's a valid question. See, nations need God. Before they will desire to live for God, they need to see the glory of God. And the only way they can see the glory of God is when the greatest miracle, we talk about supernatural, the greatest supernatural miracle you will ever see on the face of the earth is when God takes a dog and He makes it a cat. See, that's not difficult. What I just explained to you is impossible. You with me? When God takes a sinner... And he does not just add things to him and try to change his habits. He literally transforms his nature. And he makes him a Christian. Christianity is not difficult. Religion is. Christianity is impossible. If God does not intervene, you will never be a Christian. And if God does intervene, you will be a Christian. Because it's nature that changes See, we need to understand we don't just teach people through their will, their mind, and their intellect and emotions to feel things, think things, and do different things. There must be a radical internal transformation that the glory of God takes a sinner and through a sinful man that we all know that is impossible, that you literally become somebody who lives for the glory of God, who is dying to self, and you say to yourself, humanly, that is impossible. That's what nations are waiting for. They're waiting for the display of God through sinful people who have been transformed. Answering this question needs apostolic passion. I want to explain apostolic. When someone was sent with authority by someone with authority to establish a community founded on biblical foundations that results in the worship of God. It's people sent with authority, by authority, under authority, but for a purpose to establish a biblical foundation in a community that results in the worship of God. I learned this from a good friend of mine, Floyd McClung. Someone sent with a specific message to accomplish a specific task. What is passion? Oh, I'm passionate. I mean, people are passionate about marriage. People are passionate about work. People are passionate about sport. I mean, people are passionate about things. I won't speak about rugby yet, but I mean, it's not over. Okay, it's not over. Okay, passion. I mean, passion. What is passion? Let me explain to you where passion comes from. Passion ultimately comes from the Latin word pati, which means to suffer. I believe in the blessings of God. But I believe that we want to understand love. Ladies, some of you will marry a guy 
that says to you, I'm, I want you, but I want to keep five other ladies at the back door. Would you like? Never, never, yeah, never. <laughs> Why not? If he comes to you, listen, I don't want any other women in my life. It's you alone. How do you know somebody's passionate? You see it through their sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice, there is no love. Friends, nations will not be reached unless we understand apostolic passion. Nation will never be reached unless some of us sitting, oh, it's comfortable. We, uh, we found a good job here. God is maybe calling you back to your nation and it's gonna cost you. It's gonna be in a passion in your soul. Lord, Lord, my passion in my soul takes me beyond my comfort and the things because I wanna see, I'll sacrifice other things because I wanna see your glory established somewhere. We cannot lose the word passion when you speak about Christianity. You cannot exclude suffering if you include it, if you understand Christianity. There's something about it when we lay down our lives. And we're going to look at Jesus' life also. You see, it's what you hunger for so much that you'll sacrifice everything else to get that. Let me explain to you. Sacrificing our lives, what does it mean? What we are willing to sacrifice is not your passion. It's what you're not willing to sacrifice that is your passion. Will you sacrifice Jesus for business or will you sacrifice business for Jesus? Will you sacrifice money for Jesus or Jesus for money? It all explains what you're, what you're passionate about. Will you sacrifice your marriage for business or will you sacrifice your business for marriage? It's just passion. It's explaining. You will sacrifice something. What are you passionate about? See, when Jesus comes into our lives, it's not just an irreligious trick. It's not just religious habits. It's not just new things and new ways you learn in this church and you sing like that. No, you know what? When Christ comes into your life, it deeply touches your passion. It transforms your life that you're willing to sacrifice other things for His glory's sake. My dear friend Floyd, Floyd, the founder of All Nations, said the following, Apostolic passion is dead in my heart when I dream more about sport, toys, places to go and people to see than I do about what nations worshiping Jesus. I've lost it too, he said, when I make decisions based on danger involved and not the glory God will get. Those who have apostolic passion are planning to go, but willing to stay. You know you have it when you're deeply disappointed that God has not called you to leave your home and get out among those who have never heard his name. If you will not suffer or sacrifice for something, you're not passionate about it. If you say you will do anything for Jesus, but you don't suffer for him, then we aren't really passionate about him and his purpose on earth. And those words are so true. Let me explain then what apostolic passion means. Therefore, in a, it is a deliberate, intentional choice to live a life worship of, worthy of the worship of Jesus in the nations. It has to do with being committed to the point of death to spread His glory in every nation. It's the quality of those who are on fire for Jesus, who dream of the whole earth being covered with His glory of the Lord Jesus. Apostolic passion therefore happens when individuals saved by Christ fall in love with Christ and embrace their calling from Christ to be messengers of Christ to a dying world, taking the gospel of Christ to every nation at all costs. Friends, God is not calling every one of us to go and lead a church somewhere. God is not calling each one of us, every one of us to go on a campus and become a campus missionary, to work with kids full time. If all of you do that, who will support it? <laughs> But God is calling every single one of us to participate. 
See, we're not successful through association. We're successful through participation. If we look at the hero, Jesus Christ, Paul explains it in the following way. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so cl closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Now that word looking to Jesus in the Greek meaning means, you know when a guy only has eyes for you, how do you feel? He only has eyes for you. I mean, if you see my wife, you'll understand why I only have eyes for my wife. Okay? That's it. Only have eyes. You know, it's, it's his passion. That's what it is. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the Greek meaning means you only have eyes for Jesus. You don't have eyes for the world. You know, the things of the world are no longer that attractive. They're there and we have them, but we have eyes for Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. For the joy set before him, he suffered. For the joy set before him, he was willing to offer his own life as Lord, showing us what it means to embrace lordship. He did it himself. For the joy set before him, he saw you through the cross. He saw you through the cross. He saw you through the cross. He was so joyful to let himself be killed, hang on a cross, because he knew at the other side of the cross, you're there. You are there. He saw Ghana. He saw Uganda. He saw France. He saw Belgium. He saw every nation, every tribe, and every people group. And because of the joy set before him, he opened up the way. We don't start, we're not starting something new. We're just following in the old ancient path here. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated right there of the Father. The church has an apostolic calling, which means sent once, to fulfill our apostolic mission, which means to take the gospel to every nation, every campus. But it will require an apostolic passion, which means a sacrificial lifestyle for it to be fulfilled. What is required? Friends, to break this down, this is required that I will take look at my five-year-old and I will give him a heart for nations at the age of five. It will require that you start to save money and two or three years from now, you pitch up in Manila and you take your kids with and you show them what nations look like and give their heart, give them a heart for nations. It requires that we take our youth and expose them to nations. And in this nation, we have the greatest hour in the history of this nation. Christians, awake. It's not time to flee. It's time to fight. It's time to guard together. It's time to raise up. It's time to stand up and not allow the negativity of what's happening in our nation to fill your mouth. You are there and you say, when you wake up in the morning, Jesus is Lord. It has not changed. It is our confession. It's time that we take our students and we ask them, study for a purpose. Because somewhere in your life, you will not just study with nations. Be aware they're in your classroom. But as you are studying, why don't you study with the purpose of God? I'm going to the nations. And if I'm not going to the nations, I will influence the nations from here. But nations is part of our theology. It's at the essence of who we are. If you're a businessman or a businessman or a businesswoman, it's time for you to do business with a greater purpose than just making profit. Many Christian businesses use Christian principles, but it doesn't make it Christian. 
You cannot be a Christian business if you're not Christian missional. If the mission is excluded, it's Christian principles, it's not Christian business. At the core of Christian business is Christ's mission. Profit for a purpose, your bottom line should not be money, it should be souls. To get to souls, there's a second bottom line. Maybe that's profit. There's something about you as business people. Why don't you say, Lord, how do we open up business in other nations for the purpose of not just finding a kingdom, for the purpose of employing people and discipling your people? I mean, I can tell you so many stories, the privilege I had, starting a small little company, helping somebody who had needed money and I started with work with leather and from that thing it started to grow into something more and I one day got so busy doing stuff for friends and I wanted to stop it God said no it's for your two sons it's for people who don't have work I said God I've never done this he said, he said just do it I said my wife I can't stop this she's doing it on my own and, and then I prayed and the next week my wife sits at a tea party and one lady said oh this lady lost her work she's a stitcher my wife said what stitcher yes give me a number we call Beauty. I said, Beauty, I can't promise you anything, but let's try something. Would you come to my garage? I'm going to teach you to, I mean, and we're going to start to make leather bags. And the first few were horribly wrong. And we kept playing and playing and playing. And Beauty started my garage. It's now seven years later. There's 24 people of which 80% of them did not have work. But you know what happens every single Wednesday without a beat missed? Every single Wednesday, we have a connect group. Every single Wednesday. Why? I'm not here to use people. I'm here to make people. We're here to make sure. I cannot stand before God. One is God. We had great leather products. We just sent all our workers to hell. How can I be a Christian businessman and think like that? That is not Christian business. The mission is in your company. The mission is all the people who are employed with you. Do they know Jesus? There is a mission. And I don't disciple them myself because there's familiarity. But I make sure and I ensure it happens. I went to our church and I said to one of the guys, and I'll stop. I said, I want you to go to the Grove Mall. And I want you to go to my store. And I want you to go every single week and go and share the gospel with my reps. He came back and every week he reports. I said, Phil, I've shared the gospel. Why? I'm intentional. I want them to save. I want them to go with me to heaven. I cannot just have leather products and forget about the people that work for me. Friends, we are on a mission every day of our lives. Let me conclude. I want to phrase something when I started speaking as apostolic discipleship. What is apostolic discipleship? It's more than just discipleship. You can take people through the one-to-one and it's great. Let me explain to you what apostolic discipleship is. Is that while you're taking people through a purple book or a one-to-one or a sermon, you're installing a passion, a foundation, a philosophy and core values that results in united mission that they start to care about nations and not just normal disciples. They are national disciples. They think nations. They want to see the nations bow before Jesus because you do not know who you disciple, who they will become. Maybe the person you disciple is exactly the person who opens up another nation. We are not just a community. We're a missional community. If mission does not exist, the question is, is she still the church? 
That's why we have apostolic sayings, change the campus, change the world. Every nation, our generation, every generation in our nation, a Bible and a passport. For those who've never been to Tswani, you cannot go to our bathrooms and not think that. Why? Because when you walk into our bathrooms, you will see nation faces on every single bathroom. I want you to sit there and think about nations. <laughs> so why do we do reach? Let me conclude. Let me give you, and if this is, listen friends, I'm going to excuse you if these reasons are not justifiable. Let me tell you why do we do reach. It's because we love Jesus and want Him to be glorified in every nation. If that's not a good enough reason, nothing else will be. What is our priority? Is to take the gospel to these nations because we want the glory of God and the worship of God in nations. What is our strategy? Keep on doing your connect group. Keep on discipling people. Make disciples. Those disciples you make raise leaders. The more leaders we have, the more we can do. The more we can reach nations. We need leaders, but leaders come from disciples. And that's what will result in church planting. And I can tell you so many church plants happen because of discipleship. People just move to another area and they start making disciples. The result is a church plant. How do you participate? Every one of us can pray. Pitch up Thursday. Pray for nations. Find the nations. Put nations up in your house. You can give financially. Friends, give up two burgers and one pizza for the sake of a soul. Is that not a fair trade? Do something, Lord, I'm going to give. And the last thing is, we can go. Sign up for missions. What is our focus? You guys are involved, busy planting in Ghana, Swaziland, France, Kenya, Canada. Maybe, but no, I don't know if, they, if I missed anyone. I'm not talking about local here. Local is lacking, but let me tell you, it's going to cost us more to go beyond local. Our missions is to get beyond the borders. Currently in Africa, 38 nations that we not yet. Uganda is about to be ticked, so it's going to be 37. And then also we have 34 nations in Europe we need to reach. Our mission statement is clear. We exist to honor God. We're establishing Christ-centered, sperm power, socially responsible church and campus ministry in every nation. I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to pray a prayer of confession with me tonight? Would you stand up with me? And I want you to pray this prayer with me tonight. And we say tonight, Lord, I'm taking myself out of the center. Would you be willing to say, Lord, it's not about me. It's not about my stuff and my things, my preference. It's about you. The greatest place of peace is when you put Christ back in his place. Greatest satisfaction is Christ back in his place. Let's pray this prayer. One, two, three. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Nations will no longer ask, where is your God? Please grace us as we take the gospel to every nation for your name's sake. Amen. Father, I pray for this people. Lord, I thank you for a revival in their hearts, reviving our hearts, and we would passionately love you. Lord, that we would be willing to lay aside anything else for the joy set before us, seeing you glorified. Your name be famous. Lord, I pray for people as they stand here today that something in their hearts will ignite, not just to go to nations, but to see your glory in nations. We honor you tonight, God. Bless your people. Bless every person from every nation here, God. Stir in their hearts, Lord. If they don't go, may they reach more of their friends, but some will go back so that we can reach every nation 
in our generation for you. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're awesome.